The reading is taken from Acts chapter 9, and I'm starting right at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you went coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength and Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Lord, we thank you for this portion. Lord Jesus, we praise you because you are alive and you love to be with your people. And Lord, as we come to look at your word together, we ask you to speak to us. We pray, Father, that you would enlighten our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us afresh, that you would show us something more of who you are 
and what it is to follow you. Amen. Well, if you've been at St. Francis over the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at a series together on journeys. We've looked at a whole variety of journeys. And our particular journey today is the one from darkness to light. And I wonder if this is something that actually we all feel in need of at this stage in November when it feels like we're going from darkness to even darker, doesn't it? As the days get shorter and the nights grow longer and it gets colder and it feels sometimes it doesn't get light at all. But actually, in a much deeper way, isn't this something that we are all in need of in a world where, again, it feels like we're journeying in the wrong direction? Uh, it seems that every day is growing darker. And yet, in this passage today, we find so much to bring us hope. The wonderful story of one man's journey from darkness to light shows that there is always hope for all people, for all situations, for every circumstance. There is no one or nothing beyond the reach of the light of Jesus. But just for a moment, back to those dark evenings, why don't you turn to somebody sitting close to you and tell them what you do when it's a dark evening to try and feel more cozy and comfortable or to try and make those evenings go a little bit more brightly. Well, if you've got some top tips, then I'd love to hear them at the end of the service. It's all good, isn't it, to find good ways to spend these dark November evenings. One of the things that we love to do as a family is we've got a wood burner in our sitting room, so we light the fire, we grab blankets, and we snuggle down and watch a good film together. That's one of our favorite ways of spending a November evening. And uh, we were given a DVD some years ago, which, you know, they don't do those things anymore, do they? But um, we, one of, somebody gave us a DVD of a film that we have really enjoyed called The 100-Foot Journey. I think I've got a little slide to show the, uh, the cast, there you go, look. The 100 foot journey. Give me a wave if you've heard of this film or seen it. One or two, yeah, that's good. It's great, isn't it? It's a lovely film. It's a very heartwarming story about a family that are arriving from India in France and they want to establish uh, an Indian restaurant and they, sh and they set up shop across the road from uh, a two Michelin starred restaurant. And um, the film describes this short journey is just 100 foot across the road, and yet actually it's a really big journey, uh, relying on changing hearts and minds. And uh, although I don't want to kind of, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, they do, uh, the journey is successful and hearts and minds are changed along the way. Well, the journey that we've heard about in our reading this morning is the journey, well, in one sense, from Jerusalem to Damascus. And again, I think we have a little slide to show you that journey. It's not terribly far, about 135 miles. Um, but of course, uh, Paul, or Saul, as we know him in this passage, uh, was taking this journey by foot. And so it would have probably taken him about two weeks to complete the journey, so reasonable length. But it was nothing compared to the journey that his heart and mind went on. We are living in an age of polarized opinions on so many diverse issues. People have a, a real wide variety of views and then they tend to find their position and become quite entrenched there. 
it's actually been shown that some people would rather continue believing something that has been proven to be untrue rather than change those deeply held and cherished convictions. Considering that, this story of Saul's conversion is even more miraculous. The journey that he took from one strongly held view to another was colossal. And yet, in his case, it took place almost instantaneously. So let's delve into this a little bit more deeply. We first encounter Saul in Acts chapter 7, a couple of chapters previously, in the story of Stephen, the first martyr. And as Stephen was being stoned to death, for taking a stand, for believing in Jesus, Saul was looking after the cloakroom. But he wasn't just an innocent bystander. The Bible tells us that he approved of the murder of Stephen. And after that event, uh, Saul then makes it his mission to wipe out the church of Jesus Christ. And he begins systematically going to churches and homes and arresting those that follow Jesus. The crazy thing is that Saul thought that he was doing God a favor by doing this. He was a zealous man. He was very religious. He was a teacher. And yet he thought that by going about and arresting followers of Jesus, he was doing a good thing. Talk about misunderstanding the God and his ways. He was so driven that he decided that he would go on this journey to Damascus. A lot of uh, persecution that happened in Jerusalem had caused believers to flee, and some had gone to Damascus. So Saul sets out to pursue them and wipe out the church there too. But he was stopped in his tracks by an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the thing about an encounter with Jesus. It can radically turn around our lives in a way that nothing else can. He he uniquely has the power to touch and transform the human heart. Saul was dazzled by the light of life, by Jesus. So much so that it actually led to him physically going blind. And yet he was starting to see for the first time. He was starting to see how all that he had believed was wrong. He was starting to see that Jesus was the way. He was starting to see that he needed a radical change of direction. He was starting to see his need of a savior and that all of his human endeavors, all of his righteous acts, all of his following of the law were insufficient to the task. He was starting to see that his murderous threats in the past were not a disqualifier for a future serving Jesus. Such is the power of the light that Jesus gives. Now the first recorded words of God that we have in the Bible are, let there be light, and there was light. Transformative words. All of the darkness flees in the face of the light that God calls into being. And do you know, the same God speaks light into our lives and circumstances today. Now, I wonder what your story is. I guess, I don't know how many people are here. I'm terrible at judging. Maybe 200, do you think? Possibly? 
And you will all have a different story of how you have encountered the light of Jesus. God treats us as individuals. He knows us by name. He calls us by name. And certainly my own experience of light is that there have been some kind of instantaneous and dramatic moments, moments of fresh revelation and understanding. There have been times when I've been stopped in my tracks because I've suddenly had an appreciation of the incredible dimensions of the love of God for me. And then there have been other times, perhaps the majority of my Christian life, where light has dawned gradually. It's taken a process, it's taken time, a growing awareness of his love and presence, a growing awareness of my desperate need of him to deal with the darkness within. Surely this story of Saul is evidence that there is no darkness too great that his light is not infinitely superior. In a few weeks' time, we'll be entering into the season of Advent, and we think particularly about journeying from darkness to light in that season. And we'll probably read the wonderful verses, opening verses of John's Gospel, where Jesus is described as the light of the world who shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I wonder if we can think of people in our lives who we've sort of written off in, uh, with regard to them ever coming to faith in Jesus. Whether though there are those that we know or that we know of who seem to have so much darkness in their lives. Those who are so opposed to Jesus and his way that we can't really imagine how they could ever change their minds. Can I encourage you not to give up praying for those people in your lives that fit that category. Jesus is still in the business of encountering men and women and turning their lives around for good. He does it all the time. I'm doing a little Bible study group, a little group with um, a couple of people from my village at the moment. And as we've been talking about Jesus, who he is, why he died, how we can know him, it's been amazing just to see light dawning understanding coming, scales falling off people's eyes as they begin to understand who Jesus is and what it means to know and follow him. Are there people in the world who bring so much darkness and destruction by their actions that we, we've just given up praying for them? In our reading this morning, we come across Ananias and he voices reasonable concern to God. So God asks him to go and minister to Saul, and Ananias just says, um, hang on a minute, Lord. If I can just point out this person is the person who's been sort of throwing all of your family into prison. Uh, I wonder if he was thinking, I wonder if there's someone else who might take on this particular challenge. But Jesus saw the treasure in Saul. He knew that his zeal could be redirected to bring people to that saving grace of Jesus. That he would end up writing most of our New Testament. And he sees the gold in us too. And there is no one beyond his reach. There's no one that he cannot redeem and bring on that journey from darkness to light. So pray for terrorists. 
Pray for persecutors. Pray for murderers. Pray for those whose position is so diametrically opposed to everything that you believe to be good and true. Because Jesus is the only way in which their darkness can be transformed to light. Saul isn't the only one to have had one of these incredible, uh, dramatic encounters uh, with Jesus. History is littered with wonderful stories of others who have had that encounter. Do you know the story of John Newton, who was a, a terrible slave trader who kind of caused um, death and suffering to many people? And he encountered Jesus. And he said these words, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. The light of Christ overcame darkness in his life. And then he went on to write those words of the hymn that we love so much, Amazing Grace, in which he gives his testimony. He says, I once was blind, but now I see. He said that as a at a time when his physical sight was fading. Then there's the story of Shane Taylor. If any of you have done the Alpha course, you may have heard his testimony, but I'm just going to show a clip now, if we can watch that. Thanks, you guys at the back. Um, just to, to uh, this wonderful testimony of someone to light in Jesus. I got in with the wrong crowd, and I started to um, pinch cars, burgle houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head. I ended up um, stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his, shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system. And I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got to prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed them. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC. It's where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact. So they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an Alpha course. Never heard of an Alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair and I thought, oh, no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor... Um, I remember he come to me, he said, right, I'm gonna say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying and I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then, as I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. 
and I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears and I just sobbed and I just because that was a change in my whole life I knew God was real um, and no one will change that now and then I remember <laughs> running on the wing people clearly knew that I would become a Christian so I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses and then I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I, because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me, but they were the first. That's how good works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got um, four kids and then my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, have Bible studies with their dad. Have a life, a beautiful, um, and my life. And it's probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift, that, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever, he'll ever give me. Didn't expect to cry like that. Recovered now. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it wonderful that we worship a God who can do that? Isn't it wonderful that we are the recipients of such grace that the Lord has said he can come in and shed light abroad in the darkest places of our hearts? Well, we know that Ananias is obedient to God, and he comes alongside Saul. He calls him brother, and God uses him to restore Saul's physical sight. You may feel, if you're sitting here this morning, that your story is a little bit more mundane than Saul's or John Newton's or Shane Taylor's. But actually, if you know Jesus, then yours is a journey from darkness to light. Something radical has happened in your heart. And the Bible doesn't mince its words when it talks about the change that God brings to us when we put our trust in Jesus, repent of our sins, and begin following him. The Bible says you were dead. You were dead in your sins before you met Jesus. doesn't get much darker than that, does it? Can't be a little bit dead or a little bit alive. With Jesus, though, we are brought to new life. It's not about being nice and becoming a little bit nicer. It's about being dead and then being alive again, being in darkness and then being brought into his glorious light. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, after Saul has become Paul, he writes... For God, who said, let, the, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And he goes on to describe how this light not only transforms our inner world, but that it's supposed to shine out from us and impact the world around us for good. We become carriers of this light. So let's not make any, little, any mistake. I don't know, when I was growing up, we used to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know that song, this little light of mine. But actually, it turns out, this little light isn't quite so little after all. 
It's earth-shattering, life-changing, transformative, enormous light, tremendous light, the glory of God through Jesus inhabiting us by the Spirit. So don't underestimate that little light of yours. So in conclusion, this passage speaks into the lives of perhaps three groups of people who might be here this morning. Jesus can bring light to the darkness within us, and he can bring light to the darkness without. So maybe you are here this morning and you don't yet know that light of Jesus bringing order out of chaos, transforming the dark corners of your life that you wish weren't there, bringing revelation of truth and wisdom to know how to live life in all its fullness. The good news is that you can know him today. There was a, a lovely man in my previous church who said to me, Sarah, make sure you tell people that they need to do something about this good news. He said, I was in church for decades and no one told me I actually had to do something. So maybe today is the day for you to put your trust in Jesus and let that wonderful light of God flood your life. Call on his name, believe in his power to save, commit yourself to follow him. And if you are here this morning and you do know Jesus, then you are the light of the world. Where is Jesus calling you to shine his light? In your workplace, with your family and friends, perhaps in your local community, who are you to be an Ananias to? Who is God asking you to come alongside? Ananias, that wasn't an easy encounter for him when he went to meet Saul. And sometimes we find it difficult to, to uh, converse with or minister to people who are so different from us. But that's what Jesus did when he came to earth. And that's what he asked us to do, to go out into the world with this light for those who feel without hope. And then lastly, I believe there's a word here for every one of us as we can derive great and eternal hope from this passage in the midst of the darkness of the world that we live in. It can be easy for us to despair at this time in history. It feels like every day there's another crisis, doesn't it? Every day something else comes on the news about a shocking crime, another impossible or intractable conflict. But Jesus is the light of the world. His light cannot be overcome. The night always seems the most dark just before the dawn. That's when it feels darkest and coldest. But just as the long nights of winter eventually give way to spring, to the dawning of light again, so Jesus will overcome. The day is coming when everything is going to be brought into the light and every person will recognize the reality, the royalty, the divinity and the beauty of Jesus. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Then we will see his light fully. We will see him for who he is and we will be changed. So let's just have a moment of quiet while we Ask the Lord just what it is that he wants us to take home today.
let's take a moment to invite him to any areas of darkness in our own lives to bring his light there. Let's lift to him a, a situation in our world that brings us concern. Let's hold before him somebody we know who is today walking in darkness. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are brilliant, glorious, wonderful, transforming light. And we ask you today, Lord, to shed your light abroad in the people and situations that we've held before you. To shed your light abroad in our lives. And Father, we pray that as we go out into the world this week, that we would know ourselves of car as carriers of that light, and that we would see places, people, situations tran transformed, because this treasure that you've placed within us, this treasure that we carry in jars of clay, can change the world. We ask this, Lord, for your praise and glory. Amen.